we really just need to show kids how to live and don't just tell them. You know, when we're, when we're talking about educational content, we really need to bring that to life through our conversations, relationship building, the way we put a personal feel on our content and showing personality. We really need to inspire them first before we deliver. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 57 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host, Carl Kondalif, and I'm joined by my co-host, Celia Fleck. Celia, uh, it seems like ages since I've spoken to you. What's what's new for you? Are you, are you back in the office yet? Uh, kia ora, Carl. I know it has been ages, which seems a bit crazy given... Um how much kind of online connecting has been happening over the last few months, but um, I guess that's what we've all been busy doing. I have ventured back into the office uh, two days last week, two days this week, so kind of easing my way in, but also looking forward to the fact that it sounds like um, there's going to be a lot more willingness um, for everybody to be flexible and continue um with that combination of working from home, working from the office. So that's pretty exciting. Have you enjoyed working from home? Has it worked for you? I love working from home and yeah, it does It does work for me. I know it's not everybody's gig. Some people just really like that um, being in an office, being able to separate home, work, um, for some as well, they just like that connection of seeing people um, during the day um, and at the office. But um, but you know, I'm I quite happily work at home. I imagine um, from you know from what I know about you and your your passion for the outdoors, um, being able to I guess work in your own environment and come and go as you please, um, that would have been really good for your whole order to get outside whenever you wanted and not be bound by the four walls of the office. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That has, yeah, that's been just the best thing. And in fact, tonight when I was catching the train home, I had to really psych myself into the fact that even though it was going to be dark when I got home, I was still going to walk in the door, put my running shoes on, and go oh. <laughs> and go and get the run done. Oh, <laughs> so good on you. Yeah. Good on you. So speaking of Hawara, we today's episode is um, with Lanita Abuchabek from Australia, and she uh, is a former educator who's working with young people in the area of well-being and supporting young people through um, all sorts of different workshops and also supporting students. Now we were talking beforehand, and you throughout this episode, I talked or I raised some of the challenges that educators that I'm surrounded 
by seem to have around well-being and their um, struggle kind of having some of those really difficult conversations with students around mental health, mental illness, suicide, and, and almost some uncertainty around how to go about doing that. Um, you mentioned in our, in our chat beforehand that we're all teachers of well-being and linking that into pastoral care. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, I feel myself, I'm often uh, reluctant to engage with my students in those areas of well-being that can be a bit confronting. Yeah, I just listening to the, the episode, I just felt that... Um, what Lanita is doing is filling a real need in, in schools, but I wish it didn't have to be that way. I wish that we could set up our schools and support our teachers better so that everybody, um, as I said, is a teacher of well-being, so that we have real quality time during the day. And I know there are schools um, in Aotearoa that are doing this really well, but so that there are times, you know, during the day where teachers can connect um, and be that well-being coach for their um, tamariki and rangatahi and and actually take the time to connect on that real personal level and be thinking about how they support these young people to just be good people and 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 um, and look after their well-being, their whole order, um, and and think about that connection first, like you mentioned in the episode, before we then kind of um, leap into um, the kind of the busyness of the day and all the content um, that might come with it. Mm, yeah, I re- I really like that, and um, you know, obviously there need to be support there for those people that are do feel challenged by that, but, um, you know, it's having the teacher, you know, the, their, um, who they're connected to for their, their pastoral, their form teacher, their ropu teacher, whatever you want to call that, having that person being that well-being expert is, is going to be so powerful from a relationship perspective. And, you know, it's, it's not that Lenita is not doing a, a fantastic job and an amazing service, but, uh, you know, if we could have our educators better prepared to be able to do that, you know, it's going to be so much better for the kids instead of having to rely on people who like Lenita, who are doing an amazing job, but she can't be everywhere for everyone all the time. So there needs to be areas or times when uh, we can, these students can get the um, the support that they need. And that needs to come from, from us. Like you said, we're all teachers of wellbeing. What, um, what did you like the most about the episode and some of the uh, concepts or, or discussion points that Lenita and I had during that, that talk? Uh, my favourite and my takeaway was um, kind of right towards the end, and I think she called it the heart-led leadership. Was that right? Yeah, I think so, and, yeah. Yeah, the five, there were five kind of components to that, and actually it was the first one that really struck me, and that was the um, – you know, we are there to serve and we are there to serve young people. And um, and I think that could be quite confronting for some people to kind of think about, um, you know, for some teachers to think about themselves as being there to serve young people. But I remember, um, you know, when I was in teaching and um, we were doing a lot of kind of planning and, 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 um, and work as a school and we're always coming back to that question whose interests are being served and mm. that's absolutely 
ultimately what it came down to is that we were there to serve the best interests of the young people in our care and our responsibility. So, I mean, that was just the first of the five, the five kind of um, components of it, but that one really struck me. Yeah, she had some really good points in there. Um, I liked the, the discussion within that around vulnerability and the need for us as educators to be vulnerable and, and share stories and connect with our learners in, in those ways. But the one thing that really struck me was she made a comment about um, teachers uh, and she shared the example of just commenting on on a student's homework and connecting with a student that way and I thought back to my years teaching and so many times I've set homework and not followed up on it and that just when I sit back now and I reflect on that it makes absolutely no sense that I would issue some homework and not comment on it if, if you give a kid a task and they're going to you know give you the respect of going home and doing it in their own time and then I don't even have you know the the foresight to go back and comment on that I, I that was quite um, confronting for me and a little bit embarrassing that I've been a teacher like that so moving forward it's given me something to kind of work towards it if a, if a kid's going to do some work well we should be you know connecting with them and giving them really positive feedback and encouraging them and things like that so I thought that was really interesting. So let's jump straight in and listen to our chat with Lenita Abuchapak, the Wellbeing Warrior. <laughs> Lenita, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carl. It's good to be here. Hey, before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about your current role, what you do and how it links in with education? Yeah, definitely. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm a life coach for teenagers. So I work directly with teenagers and parents and really help support them through mindset and confidence coaching to complement their work in schools and of course their academic and personal performance. So that's what's keeping me busy at the moment. And you have an, an organization or a, or a company or a program called the Wellbeing Warrior, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's where we uh, deliver a lot of coaching programs for families and also workshops and talks in high schools as well. So that's through the Wellbeing Warrior Project. I, I love that name, Wellbeing Warrior. It's, it, it, it paints all of these different pictures to me being an educator and, and how I think about how my students engage on a day-to-day basis. But can you describe what that word Wellbeing Warrior means to you and, and I guess how it shapes some of the programs that you run? Great question, of course. So for me, uh, you know, well-being and personal development has always been a part of my life. You know, growing up, I was quite athletic and that obviously led me to working in schools as a PE teacher originally. That's kind of how I kick-started my career. And I thought always to myself, that was the, the foundational work for me. That's what really helped me excel in my life, getting the basics right when it came to my own well-being and personal development. And I found that it didn't come easy, like well-being and success, you kind of have to fight for it to some extent. And that's where the kind of the warrior twist came on for me was you're wanting to get the basics, you wanted to excel in your life, but you really have to put in the work and be dedicated uh, to the craft as well. So that's, yeah, that's basically where well-being warrior came from, an extension of, of my life story and, and putting that back into my work with kids. You, you mentioned something really interesting there. Well, I, I think it's interesting anyway. You said well-being doesn't come easy. Mm. Now, five years ago, if we go back five years, the word well-being would not really resonate in a sense that it's something that I would work on or that people would work on. It was kind of just the descriptor of how 
where you sit in terms of maybe a little bit of a bit of health but now we're in this environment where well-being is i guess this buzzword um that people work towards and they talk about mindfulness and all these other aspects of, of well-being in new zealand we call it whole order mm-hmm. which is you know a philosophy uh, a philosophical look at um at, at your health but when you say well-being doesn't come easy how how do you think that perception of well-being has changed the last sort of five to ten years and why do you think that is yeah i think i think it's just a matter of the conversations that we're starting to have in today's society i i know when i was younger the word anxiety never was really thrown around in conversation and i find there is more awareness around what well-being is but i still think people don't really prioritize it as much as you know things like academics or social media or all the other areas in our life that we do tend to talk about uh, more often than well-being so i find although the conversation has started people still do hesitate to talk about the real raw, uh, you know, vulnerable topics in life when it comes to mental health or just their physical well-being, especially at a younger age, you know, talking about this with kids, it, it is still a topic that they do tend to shy away from. And of course, that's probably with the stigma around mental health, especially too. And yeah, I just do, I, I often find that it's really easy to talk about the grades in school and, and matching it up against academic outcomes. But when it comes to asking real raw conversa- uh, questions with kids, they really just don't know the answers. And that's where they're struggling a lot just to get back to the basics. And that's where we've, we've found it really doesn't come easy to the kids. And that's where we have to provide them with that platform. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm still in front of the classroom, and I'm I'm still, you know, engaging with kids on a day to day basis. And I agree with what you say. It, it's almost like educators um, are, are scared to engage on that topic of wellbeing because they're they're scared they're going to put a foot wrong. They're scared they're going to say say the the wrong thing or stand on somebody's toes. Yet you think about any other topic in education and physical education and health. We've we've got no problems just jumping straight in and mm. and putting ourselves out there and and being in a position to fail like failing forward mm. we we can do that but then as soon as you say okay well let's jump in and talk about wellbeing it's like we just we just back right off yeah <laughs> what why why do you reckon that is and is is I guess as wellbeing as a conver- as a conversation starter or, or an educator jumping into that that uh, area of um, topic mm. should it be something that we're so hesitant to engage with or, or should we should we be cautious or should we just jump straight in? What do you think? Yeah, I love this so much. In my personal opinion, you just got to jump right into it. You know, especially as educators, we're so used to being conditioned in a way where we put up a wall. You know, I'm the educator, you're the kid and I'm just here to teach you outcomes. And that's kind of the traditional way of how we've been supported through our own studies, et cetera. But now in today's society, especially, we really just need to show kids how to live and don't just tell them. You know, when we're we're talking about educational content, we really need to bring that to life through our conversations, relationship building, the way we put a personal feel on our content and showing personality. We really need to inspire them first before we deliver any type of educational content too. So when it comes to having these conversations with kids, they'll feel so much more comfortable to open up because we're just another like-minded human being in their life. And 
we've removed the pedestal that a, a lot of us educators, you know, they we place ourselves on pedestals without us even knowing until we have these conversations like we are today. And I guess that's where we really hope just starting that conversation. And when kids connect to your heart, then they'll really understand that talking about well-being is just another conversation and they won't feel like it's something they're scared that they're scared of talking about, you know, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I just find that to really enhance that it comes through the relationship building and through that we can bring our content to life. Yeah, I, I really like that. And a, a famous Australian educator by the name of Andy here, who I, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and, and, and talking with, I don't know if you've heard of him, I'm sure you have, but he always talks about connection before content and focusing on those relationships and, and, you know, before you, uh, pursuing uh, the consumption of content in the classroom or, or teaching your kids. It's about making those connections and touching base with mm -hmm. students and really valuing those um, relationships that you can build with your students because they're gonna, going to appreciate that. And that's going to, in the long term, in, end up or, or um, the outcomes will be greater for your kids or your students. Just still mm -hmm. sticking to this, this, this uh, I guess, this battleground of, of well-being and, and what it is like for an educator to try to engage there. And I don't know if it's like this in Australia, but in New Zealand, there is a lot of reluctance, and, and you can probably speak to this on, on, on two points, really. There's a lot of reluctance to bring in external providers unless they have this, I guess, qualification to be speaking on a particular topic, um, you know, so we have a, we have a program called Mates and Dates, which is about consent and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of reluctance to bring in these people because, mm. first of all, they don't have the relationships. Um, they might not necessarily have the correct um, knowledge or, or training or qualifications. They could just be a, a presenter who's employed by an organisation. So you sit in this in this position where um, I guess you're an expert and youth well-being in, in a sense. Mm. How do you feel about some of those concerns that we see in New Zealand around bringing in external providers to talk on these things when they might not have the relation? And but this is by no means a dig against what you do at all. It's just a real common. Um, Thread in New Zealand at the moment that can be quite hard to navigate. So how do you how do you go about that? Being this expert yeah. in an area and and deal with some of the concerns that those schools and educators have. Yeah, this is great. I and I highly respect the approach when it comes to that. You know, that's something that we're quite used to. We'll look at the credentials, the qualifications, and and basically that's where a lot of educators will prioritize when it comes to bringing in this external support. And I think it still definitely has a place. You know, the reason why education or educators are quite respected is because of the, the work they put into attaining these credentials. And I do think that they still have a place in our role. I, I find though being active practitioners of our craft is not celebrated enough in education because someone can look really good on paper, but they might not have actually been walking the talk. And that's something that I've witnessed a lot in schools through as a student, what I witnessed with the teachers that taught me, what I started to continue to witness as an educator myself in schools, uh, especially around sensitive topics with personal development and religious education, et cetera. Someone will look very credible on paper, 
but they're not really an active practitioner of their craft. And I find that's where there's a lot of disconnect between, you know, what kids are really learning and what they're applying in their life because they really do need that that accountability that they can continue to apply the learning into their home or their professional relationships, et cetera. And that's really amplified through personal stories, storytelling in itself. And it comes back to show kids how to live, don't just tell them because you are an open book and they are sussing you out very often, probably more than you think. And so I think that goes both ways. Credentials are very highly important and they still have a place, but we really need to uh, respect more of the, you know, the, the craft where we actually are practicing what we preach as well. And that will come through relationship building and actually getting to know the individual too before just saying, yep, you can come into the school or you know, you're, you're not qualified enough to serve our kids. That's a really, really good answer. And, you know, it's something that I, I have battled with in the past because, mm. um, you know, I'm a business owner as well and I um, provide services to schools and educators and there's always that that struggle or that battle where, um, you know, I, I get challenged on being somebody who's in front of the classroom but still charges money for some of my services. Yet yeah. on the flip side, um we have no hesitation in, in, in paying an external provider who hasn't been in front of the classroom for 25 years mm. thousands of dollars to come in and speak with our, our, our students. And like you say, it's about, you know, valuing people who are active practitioners who are doing, uh, who are walking the walk. Um, but in the same sense, I guess, not throwing out those credentials and respecting the people who have spent a lifetime building their craft and are you know experts both in the real sense and on paper so i think you you struck a good balance uh with your response there so thank you for that yeah no thank you and i, and I can completely resonate with that as well you know transitioning into business myself it is a constant battle do i need to get more credentials and until I know that I'm credible enough. And we do fall into that trap of the, you know, learning and, and getting the next certification with our name on it. And that's just something that we need to be mindful of too, is, you know, you're, you're ready, you're qualified. And for those that are wanting to, you know, pursue business, et cetera, you've, you've put in the work. And I think you need to start now if that's something mm. that you want to be doing, but I'm glad mm. you mentioned that because I can definitely resonate with that a lot. Mm. You talk about the need for our young people to have enhanced resilience and confidence. And mm. this is, I think this is really important. And again, I, I touched on it previously, five, 10 years ago, that wasn't, those weren't words that we talked about often. Mm. Um, it's part of our curriculum in New Zealand, um, confident, connected, lifelong learners, and that's really important. But we're seeing the, the impact of technology and you know things like COVID coming through. Uh, why do you think resilience and confidence in our young people is more important than ever before? Yeah, I think I think because they are they are being pressured. Like we do need to acknowledge that teenagers are faced with a lot of things, especially with social media that maybe you know our generation or people older than us didn't necessarily were faced with at that time when they were kids. And so we do need to acknowledge that teenagers are being thrown with a lot at the moment. Um, but at the same time, they have the, they have the resources where they can learn the coping skills and the coping tools to really you know, enhance their confidence and resilience. And I find there, we do need to acknowledge there's a lot of pressure in schools. I, I, with the conversations I have with a lot of parents and kids today, 
I don't remember dealing with a lot of those pressures as a kid. And maybe that was because I had certain things in place as a child, but at the same time, I feel like the workload in itself has really enhanced dramatically for a 12 or 13 year old. And I think the transitional jump between primary or, you know, primary school into high school, it's, it's a massive leap for a lot of young kids and they just don't know how to cope with the transition, especially with times like COVID and, and transitioning to online learning. Academics is one thing, but how do we actually apply the work through these different type of coping skills? And that's where the gap is in the existing education system. Mm. Did you, um, you, you talked about not having those demands as a young person, but do you think you were relatively resilient and confident as a young person? Um, I think, you know, to some extent I was in certain areas of my life. As I mentioned, I was quite athletic. So that was, I, I was able to learn certain skills through my sports. And I, I was fortunate to just transfer those skills into the classroom or into relationships. It took a bit of work, of course. And I, I was lucky enough to have mentors in my life who held me accountable. But I just think it wasn't something that was thrown around or entertained too much. It was kind of like, okay, we need to work on this and let's work on it. It wasn't about just entertaining the anxiety for too long or, you know, trying to suss out too many different platforms and outlets. I, would, I just had a real strong accountable leader in my life and, and a couple of teachers that really held me accountable too. And yeah, it was basically just putting it into action. And that's the biggest thing for a lot of kids. We just need to help them apply this to their life and help them get the quick wins. And that's what really helped me as a kid, just achieving the little quick wins. And that really boosted my confidence when it came to that. Can I, can I ask what accountability looked like for you as a young person and, and how that was shaped in, in your life? Because that's really interesting. Having, you know, I, I, I see a lot of mentorship and, and business and, and uh, like senior leadership, uh, but as a young teacher, I, it probably wasn't something that was as, as a parent. And, and you're talking mm. about having really good accountability and mentors as a young person. What, what did that look like for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, so it came in different forms. I was fortunate in my home. My mother was very, uh, very hands-on with us. You know, I did grow up with divorced parents, so I actually didn't grow up without with a father. But at the same time, my mother really just ensured that she was present, you know, in terms of having deep, meaningful conversations with us from a very early age. So I was always used to opening up and talking about my feelings or talking about sensitive topics because my mother provided me with that platform to do that. So that was in the home. In terms of school as well, I had one particular uh, teacher or my basketball coach who who really just checked up and and helped me with certain things when it came to confidence or really helping me own my skill or my worth and asked me the right questions and made sure that he actually checked in on me too and and be like what how did you go with what we spoke about last week and that had nothing to do with the classroom it was just life conversations and I think it was the follow-up that really helped me help that stick it was a matter of just checking up on me and, and reminding me of what we spoke about and just held me accountable with the things that he assigned for me to actually work on and so it, it came it came both in the home and in school and I found I find that I just was lucky enough to have adults who I can just kind of open up to and feel safe and not judged on 
little things that I wasn't really doing too well at because I was definitely not academically gifted, but I, I just, I worked hard and I had adults who just helped me out with that. I think accountability is the final piece of the puzzle there in terms of um, trying to do something well. Uh, I think about education and I think about the, you know, I call it the storm of teaching where you you dive in and there's, you know, there's all of the pastoral stuff, there's the admin stuff, there's the goal setting that we all have and we all run around like headless chickens trying to achieve <laughs> everything. So and true. then you get to the end of the year and you're like, okay, so what have I achieved? And and often there isn't a whole lot because we set all these goals and we, and we work towards all of these things, but we don't have that accountability. We don't have that person to touch base with and say, or have them say to us, hey, where are you with this and how much have you done and why haven't you done that and how can I support you and, you know, things like that. So I think picking up a mentor and being in a position where you can have people support you, but not just support you, but hold you accountable. And that's not used in a, in a negative sense, right? It's used in a, a very positive way to help bring that person up and improve them. If we can, If we can do that and you can be actively involved in that mentorship program, then everybody's going to be better off i think your students um you yourself as as a as a teacher and an educator and even the person who's doing the mentoring can um get a lot of benefit from that would that be would that sound about right to you yeah definitely in all areas you know enhancing the results you get for your students uh, or your staff that you're working with you as an educator too you get to enjoy the process so much more because you get to connect on a human level and when you do that and when you when you lead through your heart and your emotion and you know stories and good vibes it just brings it to life and anyone you know anyone can just stand in front of a classroom and deliver the content to some extent we do have academic experts who are phenomenal at their work and we and i'm not saying that they should be replaced at all i'm just saying if we add that element of human connection and that accountability part you get to see that you get to just enjoy your life's mission so much more and get results for these kids. And when they know how much you care, they'll want to excel even more just to impress you as a mentor in their life. And that's what that's what's really, really special. And although I was dealing with a lot of certain things in education that I didn't necessarily like, I still loved my job so much because I just wanted to rock up for my students. And they knew that and they felt that too. And yeah, they helped my role become so much easier as well. When you mm. ask someone to do you a little favor, when you have that rapport, they'll, they'll, you know, give back so much more as well. I'm getting a real good picture of the type of first, first of all, individual that you are. And, and I, I guess the teacher that you were at some point and, and I guess the leader that you are now, which is, which is really nice. And I think you have some real, real good strengths and, and I bet you have some had some amazing relationships with students when when you're in that teaching space and it sounds like the work you're doing now just really suits you to a t so thank big, you big ups for that i appreciate uh, that <laughs> we're, we're facing this unprecedented time with COVID and lockdowns and remote teaching and you know here in new zealand we've we've just gone uh, i think it was 24 days without you know, without a, an infection, without a COVID case. Oh, nice. We just actually had two this morning, which is a shame. But, oh. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're sitting really, really nice at the moment. But all around the world, there are countries um, who do not have it as well as some of the other, you know, like Australia and New Zealand are doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And so there's students who are just facing so much overwhelm at the moment, so much struggle, um, some of those 
well-being issues that we've already been talking about. Mm. If I'm an educator in that position and I want to be able to support those students who might be facing some of that overwhelm, what are some of the best things that I can be doing in that situation? Yeah, I love this question. For me, I really come back to, you know, leading with your heart, doing things a little bit unconventional, you know, in terms of really making it very clear to the students that you're here for them, that you care for them. And like literally telling them the words, how much you care too. You know, I'm, I'm a certain educator where I'll tell my kids how much they mean to me. Even if they laugh, even if I sound really cheesy, I'm that person that's just really open about how I feel. Um, for those educators, it might come in different ways, you know, in terms of emailing the student, checking up on them individually, instead of just doing your thing virtually that you have to tick the boxes or, just doing the group Zoom call because for the sake of just ticking off that outcome as well. It's a it's a matter of just go that extra mile, go that extra step and send them in an individual message through email if that's the that's the platform you're playing with. Um, giving them other things to work on besides just the the homework or the academic uh, you know activities that they need to work on um, and just checking in on them consistently because I think they they realize they'll notice when you're doing things differently you'll get a different approach back from them too and just be patient as well sometimes kids don't really show you that they're noticing your effort and that's that's okay that's really normal um, as as long as you just keep consistently showing up and and understanding and helping them understand that you're there they will eventually meet you halfway on that and so I think if anything, just ask them how they're doing. How's everything going with family or what have they been up to with other things other than school? And just start talking about things that they care about. And then eventually when it comes to the school, et cetera, that's when you can obviously throw in homework or classroom activities, et cetera. So I hope that helps a lot. It does. It definitely does. Those are all good, really good suggestions. Um, you know, big focus on relationship and, and, and support there. So all, all good advice that I'm sure my audience um, can engage with really well. Yeah. Now, you you do a couple of, um, you, you obviously run some programs, you come into schools, you work with students, you work with staff as well, I think. Do you want to describe what those programs look like and, and what the outcomes are from them? Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to schools, you know, traditionally I started off with the keynotes, which I love, they're fun. Uh, but I found that through my coaching world, I really wanted to bring a live coaching experience to schools. So when I go into schools, I run uh, live workshops for the kids. Well, I'm taking them through a taste of what coaching can look like through, you know, when it comes to creating those goals, the vision, the lifestyle, et cetera and really showcase what live coaching looks like um, with a lot of the kids and, and giving them practical activities to work on. So those workshops will range from, you know, a couple of hours to half day workshops for the schools. And then of course, in addition to that, uh, I offer a lot of parent workshops uh, and staff workshops too. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great premium package, I guess, that I love to offer a lot of schools with that. And it all comes from just my coaching world uh, and the work that I work do with kids. And then of course, when it comes to the staff workshops, I really just help them through the heart, you know, the heart led leadership model that I love to apply to my platforms and really just help them bring their content to life and how to thrive as an educator and how to take care of themselves too. Cause we can't give what we don't have, of course. And we tend to forget about that as well as educators. 
I've read a little bit about or listened to you speak a little bit about that the heart-led leadership, was it? Yeah, yeah. Can, can you do like the, the three-minute rundown of, of what that is and what it entails? Because I, th- yeah. I thought it was really fascinating listen, listening to you describe it. Yeah, totally. So it's it's my five-step heart checklist, <laughs> in other words. Um, it's a matter of just five practical ways on how we can really connect to the hearts of kids and amplify their results and also thrive as educators. So it starts off with understanding that we, we're here to serve, you know, being being humble as as best as we can to really make it clear that we're here to serve the kids. And and sometimes our, our ego and pride may get in the way and we're only human. But if we just help the kids understand that we're here to serve them and, and elevate them in their life, it really makes uh, a remarkable difference. And it's and a practical way on how to do that is literally tell them, I'm here to serve you. You know, I really care about your progress. And eventually that will that will stick. You know, in the beginning they might think you're just talking some random fluff, but eventually they'll get to understand that you're there for them. The next one is empowering. And my biggest uh, belief is education should be led by inspiration and not by force. And we really need to bring in their personal world into our classrooms, showcasing little wins that they might get um, outside of the classroom walls and and try to adapt that to our learning as best as we can. And little things like, uh, you know, recognition when it comes to little wins, uh, demonstrations in the classroom, really help inspire them and make it fun as much as you can and empower them to do that instead of just telling them, oh, you have to do this because this is what we have to do today. Um, so that's the empowering aspect. The next one is being authentic. This is my favorite part of the heart model. It's wearing your heart on your sleeve. And it's just a matter of just showing a little bit more rawness and being a little bit more vulnerable in sharing a bit of personal stories or, you know, and it, it might not have to be your story, but embed storytelling into your delivery because the kids are just so curious and we need to play on that curiosity. And that, that's what it really means to be authentic um, and connect through stories with the kids. And, of course, the next one is being responsible. To some extent, we are quite responsible for the spiritual personal development of young kids. And so we need to hold them accountable to some extent with the type of work that we're uh, delivering to them. And that's just a matter of making making it pretty clear that we want to give them something practical to walk away with that they can apply in their life and not just for the sake of doing the homework. And with that accountability, of course, comes follow-up. So we need to actually make sure we're checking their work or checking the little action steps we've given them in their day-to-day life because a lot of students are actually used to having educators who actually don't check up on them or don't check the homework and we really need to make sure we're setting that standard from the get-go with them. And then the last one is being transparent. So it comes back to being an active practitioner of your craft. Don't try to just fake it. The kids are sussing you out, whether you know that or not, or they might be stalking you on Facebook or Instagram. A lot of kids do that. So you need to make sure you're really uh, living your life's work and, and walking the talk and just making sure your cup is full as best as you can, of course, um, because once again, we can't give what we don't have. And just be transparent. You know, don't try to fake it. Um, if this isn't your life's mission, acknowledgement is is powerful. For our listeners that will be catching this, of course, you wouldn't be here if this wasn't your life's mission. So, yeah, just if, if anything, keep taking care of yourself and showcase that in your movement and the kids will witness. And when they become witnesses, that's where your learning will stick very powerfully for them.
It's absolute gold. What you what you've got there, I love that model. Uh, I, I love I love the vulnerability. I think that's something that we feel. A lot of educators feel that you cannot be vulnerable in front of your students. You have to be strong. You have to mm. be the stoic person up the front of the class that can't show emotion. Yeah. But it's it's becoming so much more apparent now that you have to be the opposite. And when you are the opposite, when you can show vulnerability, the kids see that you're human, uh, your barriers drop down, and those connections are, are far easier to make with your students. Mm. So there's five really amazing um, focus points there. And I, I, I imagine staff get a lot of benefit from from your workshops yeah thank you so much and and they do it, it's something that a lot of educators they think about but they're but it's not validated because of the traditional way of just being in a classroom mm -hmm. with with kids whereas with with this type of approach it's okay to show how much you care it's okay if you get a little bit uh, vulnerable or emotional in your delivery. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you just project your whole life onto the kids. It's just, it's just you want to just be open and raw about what you're delivering, and yeah, you just set a really nice standard for them too, and they resonate with that a lot. And a lot of kids are craving that, and so we just need to really just lead with our hearts, and and then we can yeah trust the kids. We need to give them more credit too. They real, they will really step up once they know how much you care about them. Of course. Yeah. Before we get to the last question, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? Um, I guess if anything, you know, when you were with your working classrooms now, do you find that you were a bit stuck with showing your true self? Has that ever been a, a battle with you or was that quite natural for yourself? When, I, when I'm in front of my class teaching? Yeah. Well, I... I've I've had <laughs> I've had a really interesting life. I've I've done some really cool things. I'm very very fortunate to have done some really cool things in my life. Um, I used to travel the world playing video games. I used oh, to be awesome. a, used to be a bobsledder. Um, I, I've I'm, I've been a bodybuilder. I've been a national high jump champ. So I've done some really really cool things that yeah. have helped me. Um, break down some of those barriers so mm. it's always been a really good way for me particularly with my junior students to you know talk about video gaming and and all of those sorts of things with my students so i've always been really really open with with my classes that's great that's um, helped build those relationships um i i I, have, I must admit though i'm not as as forthcoming as i as i used to be because i have a young family now mm. and and there are you know at, times I feel like I like to keep some of that a bit more personal um, but maybe that's me overreacting a little bit and, and maybe I, I shouldn't be so worried about some of those things but um, yeah it's always been a, 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 an easy thing for me to do and and I've enjoyed sharing parts of my life with my students yeah that's amazing of course and I'm sure you have a lot of stories up your belt too which the kids love yeah. <laughs> thanks for sharing that hey um, when I was researching Questions for this episode. I found this great picture of you, and you're standing next to a 10x sign. So I'm a I'm a real big fan of the 10x philosophy and Grant Cardone. I love it. <laughs> um, when I when I first launched my company four years ago, um, I had to I had to build it was something like 600 lessons in six months, and and record them all and edit them. And I read his book before I started, and it just helped me through that mm -hmm. significantly, which is which is great. <laughs> But is this a is this a philosophy you embrace? This whole approach to ten x. Yeah. And, and so, 
how has that explicitly helped you to support others? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love that you brought that up. This is probably the first time someone's brought that up on a, on a podcast. Um, so I, appreciate, I, I just love the fact that we connect on that. Um, I'm a big believer in the 10X philosophy, you know, thinking bigger, investing in yourself so you can give back more to the people you serve. And we, should, we, should be, we shouldn't be, uh, I guess we shouldn't hold back from that. You know, wanting more in your life is something really important so we can give more. When it comes to making money, when it comes to our health, our spirituality, we really just need to think bigger. And when we can do that, it it sets a standard for the people that we care most about too. And that really helped. That helped in my classrooms. That helps with the content I deliver with the kids. Uh, that helps in my business, of course, and how I set that up and yeah, I'm just a big believer in in living big and because it comes back to the community we want to build and how much we want to give back. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up. <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> hey, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, I think it is very easy to, uh, when you speak with somebody, to um, when you realise or you know somebody is authentic, it comes through really easy. And I think a lot of the things you've talked about and you've you've raised in this episode is is really authentic, and it comes from from a great place. Um, you know, you talked about service and and your and your five point model, and it's so obvious that you serve from a really good place. Um, you're all about empowering other people, and and I've just really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned a lot about you, and I've learned a lot about how um, I guess I engage with some of my students and how I can do that better. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat. Um, I know you must be super busy, uh, but I think you've shared some really really positive things that my audience will take a lot a lot from. So thank you, Lenita. Thanks so much, Carla. Appreciate that. And if anyone, of course, wants to connect, they can find me on social media. And I have a I have a Facebook group as well. So those that want to coach teenagers or speak in schools and they want to kind of learn the business end, of course, they can come hang out with us. It's a it's a Facebook group called Empower Teens Make Money. So they're more than welcome to connect with me there and hang out with other coaches as well. Excellent. I'll put all of that in the show notes and, and make sure that we've got those links. So uh, if, you, if that is something that you know is, is you're passionate about, make sure we jump into that in that Facebook group and, and check out Lenita on social media. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. <laughs>